Want a job where you can use your talents, make a difference, and have the freedom of remote work? Then meet Belay. Belay has contractor opportunities for proven professionals, providing administrative support and social media strategy to fast-paced organizations throughout the United States, all from your home. To learn more, just visit belaysolutions.com slash jobs to apply. That's B-E-L-A-Y solutions.com slash jobs. James Ernest of the Grueling Truth Radio Network here with Andrew Anderson, Double A, the Reinforcer. Andrew, thank you for joining us today. Hey, thank you for having me, buddy. So what makes you the Reinforcer? Well, um, Arn Anderson from, you know, the Four Horsemen and uh, the Brain Busters, he was always the enforcer. So uh, a few years back, you know, I was wrestling as just Andrew Anderson. And uh, I remember one time, I, I, I looked, J.J. Dillon looked at me and said at a, at a Pro Wrestling Hall of Fame event, he said, wherever there's a Dillon, there's an Anderson. He patted me on the back, and, and then uh, Crowbar, Chris Ward, came up to me and said, I got an idea, why don't we call you the Reinforcer? So, Horns, the Enforcer, you're the Reinforcer. So, the Reinforcer kind of stuck. And that was 20, 24, 22 years ago. So I've been technically the reinforcer. My monitor has been there for about 21, 22 years. Nice. I see the uh, family influence with the Andersons. Um, I also uh, always thought uh, you kind of looked a lot like Big John Studd because of the beard. Yeah, everybody everybody always calls it. They used to call me Little John Studd and stuff like that, the fans and stuff. You know, a lot of uh, smart fans would say, hey, who is that Big John Studd in the post? No, it's Andrew Anderson. He's, he's about four inches too short. <laughs> But uh, yeah, I, I I I I got in the business. John Studd was already already. I guess he was sick, and uh, I think in '95, I think he passed away. '96, I'm not not too sure about that. But I never really got a chance to meet John Studd. He was one of the ones I would love to meet. So let's talk about uh, your education. Some St. Peter's College. So well, I went to Peter's College in in Jersey City, and uh, and I. I Graduated in 1989. I, I did a with a, a bachelor's degree in science of uh, business administration. Continued on for a little bit to New York, New York University. Then went to St. Peter's University in Florida. St. Peter's College became St. Peter's University, and uh, St. Peter's University in Florida. I went there to continue to get my master's degree. And I got my master's degree in business administration, and I have um, um, a BS in uh, in marketing and management. That's a lot of the credit. A lot of the credits when I went to get my my initial um, uh, business administration uh, bachelor's degree, it was uh, a lot of the credits were for marketing and management. So I, it was just no brainer. So when I went to get my master's, some of those credits went towards my marketing classes. So I was able to get my my uh, my bachelor of science in marketing and management as well. Nice. So as a professional wrestler, why is education so important? Well, you know, I always when I when I do appearances and and when I do um, um, certain types of um, you know speaking engagement, do uh, I did a commencement class at a college. I did a couple of different different things over the years, and you know, um, one of the things I always talk about is having um, um, something to fall back on, uh, a safety net. If you if you, you know, it's always great to live your dream. It's always great to do what you want to do, and that's the most important thing in life is being happy with whatever job you choose but the one thing you also have to realize is sometimes reality kicks 
in, and other times your dreams cannot be followed because it's something that's out of your hands. Like this COVID mess right now, the COVID-19, the virus right now. I mean, that threw the world into a, into chaos. I mean, not just not just one city, one town, one country, through the world and shit. So you, you got to have a safety net, you know, and that that that'll really um that really helps you know having um um background in, in, in this administration helped me a lot because I mean, there's a lot of areas where I could still get a job and thank God if I need, if I couldn't wrestle anymore, you know? So, I mean, it's like I say, it's always great to have something to fall back on. When it comes to professional wrestling, who discovered you? I was discovered by Jimmy Superfly Snooker. Um, this guy discovered me. And um, it, I was in a bar in 1990, I want to say 1991. 19, no, no, 1995, rather. 1990, no, 1991. What am I saying? Um, I was I, I was in a bar and I met, I met a wrestler. Oh no! Wait a minute. I'm jumping timelines. I did. I, I'm working on my books. I'm kind of screwing up my timelines over here working on stuff. 1989. I graduated St. Peter's College. One of the nights out, we went out after graduation. We went to a bar in in North Arlington, New Jersey, called Fatso Fogarty. And the bartender at the bar was a former WWE wrestler. He wrestled for Portland, Oregon, by the name of Mike Masters, also known as Rocky Jones. And uh, he was he was wrestling. He worked he he, he worked with Playboy Buddy Rose and for the Don Owen uh, Portland um, area uh, territory in the eighties. And now comes the nineties. He was semi-retired, working mostly just the Indies at the time. If they weren't really called Indies back then. But he was bartending, and he was he was staying local because his, his daughters were born and everything. So I met him, and he was the first professional wrestler contact I met. Shoot forward to 1992, and I'm in a bar, and in walks the Metal Maniac and Jimmy Superfly. Snook in '92, and yeah, I think '92, and uh, in walks the Metal Maniac and Jimmy Superfly. Snook, and they decide to say we're going to uh, you know go to a show, and I wound up getting them blasted at the bar and they said would you like to come to the show with us the next night we'll give you tickets in that town so they we wound up going to the show and it's been history ever since i was i was with jimmy on and off for the better part of the last well well he's dead almost two and a half years so um i was with jimmy for those almost 25 years on and off with jimmy on the road with him um, mostly Jeff Miller, the metal maniac was wrestling with him, doing a lot of his managerial work at the time and, uh, his, his frequent opponent cause they traveled together. But then I wound up traveling a lot with Jimmy over the years and, uh, you know, Jimmy broke me into the business and it was, it was great. I mean, I mean, it was a total different experience when I, when I was wrestling with Jimmy to when I got in the ring with other guys, because when I first was training with Jimmy and Gino Caruso, Mr. Italy and those guys, those guys were working light as a feather. So when I had my first match, my first match actually was against Jimmy. But when I had my first match, um, it was a lot more physical than, than with the guys that I worked work, They worked more strong style or snug than Jimmy was. Jimmy was very easy. He was like a feather. He looked like he was killing you, but he wasn't even touching you. He was just, it was an art form, you know, getting trained under Jimmy, you know. It's a forgotten art form. So... So it sounds like he was very impactful on your career. Jimmy was extremely impactful. He was a, I, I, I always say I had three fathers in the wrestling business. I say this in all my interviews. 
people say, uh, are you really related to Greg, Greg the Hammer Valentine? I say, I said, no, but we played the father and son angle up for a long time. And, uh, you know, um, I always say Greg is my dad because Greg taught me how to make money and took me around the world and everything in the business. Kevin Sullivan is my papa. I call him Papa because Papa Smurf is so small <laughs> and, and diminutive, and uh, he really taught me how to how to uh, how to get out there and, and do things. And I wrestled on a lot of different continents, so I think I five continents with Kevin, and um, and then there's Pops Jimmy Snooker. Uh, Jimmy taught me how to work, how to how to wrestle. He taught me the basics, the fundamentals of the business. So yeah, so it was it was really good being there with Jimmy and uh, and learning. It was a learning experience. It was just a, um, you know, it was with Jimmy. It was it was easy. It was so easy. So such a nice man, such a nice guy, and it was just everything was so easy with him. So it was different. It was a different world when I started meeting the other wrestlers and everybody else and going out with them. It was everybody had everybody has their own personality. Jimmy's was just so easy going, and it was great. You know, he he lived he lived the island life. Even on the East Coast, you know what I'm saying? He was just laid back, you know? He was like, brother, you give me a bud. Yeah, bring him a Budweiser, brother. You think we just got to finish one bud, so I have to bring a case. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know? So, but, you know, there were times when you saw the Superfly really come out, you know, like, closing time at the bar, and, and Jimmy didn't want to leave the bar because he'd look at me and go, brother, you know who I am? And I said, I know who you are. And he goes, I'm the Lord of the Jungle, brother. You know, so the Lord of the Jungle would come out and want to stay and just have a few more drinks. And when he when he was time for him to leave, it was time for him to leave. You know, so you didn't argue with the King of the Jungle. I know what you mean. Now, could, uh, now there's a lot of stuff going around about uh, Jimmy Snuka. Uh, yeah. Unfortunately, there's uh, that. What was that show that they did? Uh, Dark Side of the Ring. Yeah, they've uh, done a lot of. Uh, creative journalism, we'll call it, because I don't want to call it journalism, but creative, we'll call it. Uh, mm -hmm. What uh, What's your insight onto that story? Um, you know, I mean, there were many nights where I'd be driving with Jimmy across country. Um, most of the times I did with Jimmy was on the East Coast, uh, the Northeast, coming from Massachusetts or Maine, and Jimmy would look at me and I guess I'd turn around and say to me, brother, do you think I did that? I said, did what, Pop? And he go, do you think I killed that girl? And I'll look at him and I'll say, I say, no, Pop, I don't think you killed anybody. I said, um, you know, I don't think you could. You know, I, I'm, I'm, I said, uh, he look at me and go, good answer. You know, and put his head down and, and just go deep in thought. And he'd be driving at night with sunglasses on. And out of the blue, you think he's sleeping. All of a sudden, he'd come out and mention something again. Another a few hours later, or, I, I didn't do nothing. I didn't kill that girl. You know, and so he really... You know, they had, from what I understand, too, they had a tumultuous relationship. Um, and I'm very good friends with Carol Snooker, Jimmy's first wife, uh, last wife. Um, oh, his widow, actually. Um, Carol's a wonderful woman, and uh, I love her dearly. And, uh, you know, she knows as well as I do that they, they kind of, um, they painted Jimmy really black in that in that thing. They painted him as, as the dark side of right. They, they painted him really... Uh, um, more sadistic than I think it was. Um, I know that Jimmy did do a lot of cocaine back then and there was a lot of drugs involved. And um, I think whatever happened was definitely unintentional. I think whatever happened um, 
was definitely eating up Jimmy inside for him to, out of the blue at times, come ask me and ask me those questions. Do you think I really killed her? Do you think I killed her? Or you know, you know, I, it was it was it was something that was definitely eating him all those years that bothered him about the whole thing. Do I think? Do I think? Do I think he he, he he killed her? No. Do I think he intentionally killed her? Absolutely not. Um, what what could have happened was. Uh, it's, no one will know, unfortunately, um, um, but Jimmy and um, Nancy Argentino. So, you know, I'm, I, but I didn't. See, I never saw that side of Jimmy that was so violent, and and, and I don't believe he was. And, uh, that's just my my opinion on the whole situation. I was going to say you mentioned uh, cocaine. Uh, doesn't that kind of summarize eighties professional wrestling? Uh, summarize a lot of the eighties and a lot of the nineties. Yeah, because I was going to say, it seems that uh, the majority of the stars from that era all have, uh, you know, uh, cocaine or uh, drug or issues. I mean, that was like the time period, though. So I mean, Well, look, I, I, I'm going to be honest, I'm going to be upfront with you, and probably this is the first time I really said it on an interview. I had my own issues with pain pills and, uh, and, um, and Valium and uh, downers and stuff like that. I had my own... My own uh, my own uh, issues with that stuff, so I understand what it's like. I mean, you got to realize when you're on the road. I mean, now, now, nowadays it's a little differently. But I was breaking in of the territories being taken over by Vince and everything, and and, and and everything came out, and it was just starting to have what we call interest when it came out. When I broke into the business, indie wrestling was becoming more. It was called indie wrestling. It was becoming indie wrestling. And uh, not working for a major company, you have to try to survive working like this. And you'd work a day job, and then you'd go wrestle at night, travel the country, sometimes getting fired from your day job because you can't make it back in time, or you're in so much pain, and 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 you have to wrestle the next night, and sometimes twice at, at, at carnivals and fairs in the Midwest in the summertime, especially you'd, you'd wrestle twice twice a twice a day for seven days a week. I mean, so you're talking a lot of freaking shows. You're talking 14 matches. I mean, sometimes more. I mean, there was one week I did 23 matches, and it takes a beating. And um, uh, it's just, it's, it's you, you get hooked. You know, you, you take something once for pain. You feel good. You sleep. You wake up the next morning. You know what I'm saying? You, or you can't go to sleep because you've been out with the boys drinking, you know, so you take a volume. And then every night it becomes a routine. You take a volume to sleep. You take a pain pill. You go to sleep. You wake up. And it just leads to more and more and more. And it's a, it's a, it's an, it becomes an addiction, and I, I beat my own addiction, um, just as it was getting bad. Um, but uh, I, I've seen other guys that it didn't turn out so good, you know, which is sad. You know, a lot of the boys passed away of drug overdoses. A lot of it due to uh, opiates, you know, like uh, um, Vicodins or Percocets or whatever. You know, maybe Soma's muscle relaxants have been the drug of choice for the '90s. I think Soma really, if you ask me. Muscle relaxes for the early for the early millennium and the late nineties was the, the drug of choice. You know, it killed a lot of people. You know, um, it's 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 not easy doing what we've done. In you know, to put smiles on fans' faces. I mean, it's it's just crazy. I mean, I, I mean, and I haven't even done it on a on a bigger level like the WWE guys have done. You know, I mean, I haven't been there in the spotlight like that. Um, I, I have etched out my, my niche in, uh, with, with my cult following or whatever, you know, you want to call it. 
Um, I've been around. Everybody knows who I am. Everybody, I've worked with probably everybody in the business at one point or another for one company or another. And uh, am I a journeyman? Yeah. You know, have I seen it all? Yeah, I've probably seen it all, you know. So, um, yeah. I remember I walked in, I walked into a room and I'm not going to say where it was, but uh, <laughs> there was a, a donkey with, uh, with with cocaine up uh, on its face, on its nose. You know, somebody tried to get a donkey to sniff cocaine. It was like animal abuse. Now it would be called animal abuse back then. They were just trying to, you know, cause mayhem and have the donkey go into somebody's room and shit it up, you know? So, oh, but wow. that, that was about 18 years ago, mm-hmm. maybe longer. No, about 22 years ago. So, yeah, in everything. So it sounds and, like it was never boring. No, no, it was never boring. You know, we may get old, but we're not boring. You know, <laughs> so one thing's one thing's for sure. You know, uh, it's it's a different lifestyle. It's not for everybody. You know. You mentioned uh, being a journeyman in in professional wrestling. Have you gotten to see that documentary? Uh, the journeyman with uh, Francisco Shiatsu. Yeah. Yeah. No, I haven't gotten a chance to see it, but he's a he's a good friend of mine, and I've wrestled him. Yeah, I actually only wrestled once, considering, you know, and uh, we just wrestled last July for the first time in years, and uh, we we known each other, and uh, it was a it was a pretty really good match. We did false count anywhere in the building match, a uh, uh, Sicilian street fight or something like that. It was pretty good. Nice. So, yeah, he's a nice. I haven't watched it, but I will. No, I should have. I should have took the time out to watch it during this uh, pandemic quarantine. You know, so. Yeah, I'm in the same boat. I had him on the show to promote the darn thing, and I never got around to watching it. I should, yeah, I should ask for like a screener copy or something. Because yeah, I, I, it's one of those things I keep saying I'm gonna get around to watching, but I haven't. But yeah, he was really uh, captivating. Enjoyed having him on the show. Yeah, he's a good guy. He's a really good guy. Really, really well spoken and just a hell of a dude. You know, um, I like Francisco. So he's a good, pretty good worker too. Really, really good, talented guy. You know, so is his wife Stormy Lee. Oh yeah, she's yeah, she's a top notch as well. Yeah. Going back to the beginning of your career, who trained you? I mean, you mentioned who influenced you, but who were your official trainers? My my first my first weeks on the job uh, were trained by uh, Jimmy Snuka mm-hmm. and uh, and Gino Caruso, Mister Ruley, um, Kodiak Barrett, Tom Casola, um, who's a staple in the Northeast Indies, um, in the. Uh, the late 90s works for WWE and everything. So, um, him and Gino trained me a lot. Um, I worked a lot, worked out a lot with, uh, with Nuncio, um, when he was still at the top, it was just, uh, uh, James Stone, I think at the time. Um, he would later on go on to be Nuncio and, uh, um, little Guido and ECW. Um, so I worked out with him a lot and the executioners, um, Jerry Fazio and Terry Manton, Terry Manton passed away in, uh, I think 2001 or something like that of a, of a brain aneurysm. Um, he died on the wheel of his car. So, but he was one, he was a power lifter. He was one of the guys who used to do the job to Putsky and all those guys in WWE to WWE TV. Um, when, the the, the, Masks were transferred from Kowalski and Stud to the other executioners, the guys that came out and did the jobs at WWE. But they were still they were they were doing jobs at WWE, but they were working all over the country, you know, as the executioners, you know. And uh, so, yeah, those were the guys that basically trained me when I was breaking into business. But first, few, first few workouts for the first few months, at least once a week, would be with Jimmy Snuka. 
So, and uh, it was it was a good time. My first my first tag team partner was a kid called the Pub Bully. Now wrestles as Craig, real deal Craig Steele. I mean, he was my first like long time tag team partner. Um, that we well, like when I say long time, I mean more than a month. You know, uh, but they put me with Nikolai Volkov in uh, the late '90s, mid mid '90s, I'd say, with with Nikolai Volkov, and uh, I guess Boris Sukov. They put me in this. My first gimmick was the Siberian Tiger, and I'd wrestle all over from and the the '90s as the Siberian Tiger, and I would do the Russian gimmick, either solo or mostly with Nikolai Volkov. Sometimes with Ivan Kolov. Um, so yeah, it was it was pretty cool, you know. But it was a it was a pretty cool time to be a character in wrestling, you know. So why did they choose to make you a Russian? Well, everybody said, you know, they couldn't figure out what to do with me. I think when we first started, they were like, you know, oh, you know, everybody wanted me to be an Anderson or to be a Valentine. They were like, you look like Greg. You look like Valentine. You look like Ar- like Art Anderson. I was like, I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that. I, I, I didn't ask for that permission to do it. And, you know, so, I mean, they just, they, I, I just think the Russian gimmick was, 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 you know, the, the way to go. That's what everybody said to me. Do the Russian gimmick. I didn't want to do the Russian orig- originally. I didn't want to do it. So I was doing like Cold War throwback, you know, and uh, like a Russian sympathizer and uh, spoke English. I learned a few words of Russian, cur- curse out the crowd and stuff, you know. Yeah. You know, but it, 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 I remember it was, uh, I'd still do it even in the late 90s. And I remember it was like 1998, 1999. And um, Nova. Mikey Nova comes up to me and goes against me. Nova says to me, um, "Why don't Why don't you quit doing the Russian gimmick? You look so much like Arn Anderson." Um, he's uh, Arn was still wrestling WCW at the time. He's like, "It's no brainer. Just go out and be Andrew Anderson. Use your real name, Andrew Anderson. Go out there and be an Anderson." So I was like, "You know what? Why not?" I went ahead and did it, and then eventually Crowbar brand branded me reinforcer and. You know, I just wrestled. But I was still wrestling on occasion. People didn't want to use me as a Russian. I was wrestling as Andrew Anderson uh, in, in the 90s. I mean, I was still wrestling as Andrew Anderson, but I wasn't wrestling as the reinforcer, and I was mostly wrestling as Siberian Tiger in the early 90s, you know, and, and mid-90s. So. so tell us about your connection with Ace uh, Freely of uh, KISS. Ace, I, I've, I've been a huge KISS fan my whole life. I've been a huge Kiss fan my whole life, and uh, I, I, I went to a couple of shows, and uh, I met, I was doing a, um, a appearances, I, I, well, let me go back to 1996, 1996, somebody asked me, um, they were doing club, Kiss was, no, 1990, 1991, before I got involved in the Russian business, um, I was bouncing at a club, in um, New Jersey called Rock the House and Peter, Chris, and Ace Frehley came in doing their Bad Boys tour. Two, two members of Kiss with their own bands doing the Bad Boys tour. I wanted bodyguarding for Peter, Chris for, for a while and then I wanted bodyguarding for Ace Frehley for a while. And, um, and then, you know, got into wrestling and everything and years later, years go by and, and uh, I'm doing, now I'm, I'm in, I got celebrity mode and everything and doing from the movie The Wrestler and uh, doing various commercials over the years and it was like 2012, 2013 and I'm I'm signing now at conventions and and Ace is in there signing at conventions and Ace is one of Ace's uh, bodyguards, current bodyguards, uh, his his name is uh, Jimmy Crowley, he says, 
hey, come on, he just wants to come to meet you. He's, you know, I saw he brought me up and Bruce Beefcake, and we went up and met Ace, and, and I said, do you remember me? And of course he didn't, because he was drinking a lot back then. And I showed him some pictures that I had in my phone, that I have copies of it, and he was like laughing about it. And he was like, I don't even remember that. And he was like, I don't even remember when I played so many places, I don't remember. So we were laughing, and, you know, and then I, I think like four months later, we ran into each other at another convention, another convention. Finally, you know, like, what the hell? You know, let's hang out, you know? And so I, I got to be close with his tour um, manager, John Astronomy, and, uh, you know, and uh, Jimmy Crowley, and would always come in and that, that, that bring me and all the rest of all the backstage. And Ace and I wound up getting, getting closer and closer, and now we're on a, you know, telephone basis talking, you know, we're friends, personal friends now, you know, we, we talk about our personal lives and, you know, he's become like almost, almost like a member of my family, you know what I'm saying? We hang out and everything and it's just, you know, with the COVID thing, we really haven't seen each other, but, you know, we're, we're trying to do a couple of different things as far as, um, you know, business goes together and uh, to make sure, you know, things are, are, are uh, you know, good for him and, and um, you know, make sure everything's, you know, going smoothly and, Hopefully we'll we'll, uh, we'll we'll be in business with something in the near future. So excellent, but not uh, not painting you up as the kiss demon and wrestling. No, right? I ain't doing that shit. I'm too old for that shit. <laughs> uh, but yeah, another person I'd like to give a shout out to was you know when you say it's this is something I, I I've always wanted to bring. You know when they you meet your your idols, they say meeting your idols and your your uh, your your your. your the people you looked up to and meeting your idols is never, sometimes it's, it's better not to do it because they fall short of your what you expected. Exactly. Well, uh, yeah, Ace, Ace has been everything I expect. He's a great dude. He's just one of the, you know, and the other one that I got to say, meeting one of my idols is Eric Bloom from Blue Oyster Cult has become a really good friend of mine and confidant. And uh, I call him whenever I um, the singer and, and, and co-founder of Blue Oyster Cult. He's just a good guy. You know, and these are two people that have now impacted my life so much, you know what I'm saying, that actually become friends, and it's just a, a really beautiful thing, you know? That is awesome. I was going to say that. Yeah, is, yeah. It's cool when you can make connections. And growing up, growing up, not, 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 to, not to say nothing else, but growing up, Jimmy Snooker was, was, was one of my idols growing up, you know what I'm saying? I mean, I, I would always bust Nikolai Volkov, I would on road with him so much. And I would bust Nikolai and say, Nikolai, you know, when I was growing up watching wrestling, I never liked you. You were a, you were a dick. You know, <laughs> Nikolai would tell them, oh, 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 yeah, oh, nice guy with a gun, like that, you know? So, I mean, Nikolai, I'd always bust Nikolai about that. But, yeah, you, you, I wanted to become friends with the guys that I didn't even think of or I, I, I didn't want to watch when I was a kid because I didn't like them, you know? I wanted to become such good friends with them, you know? I mean, look, who would ever think? You know, I would be so tight with the nasty boys, you know what I'm saying? I mean, uh, Brian Knobs and Jerry Sags, two of my best friends. I'm, I'm going to shout out to them. You know, and Brian Knobs is hurting. You know, he hasn't been working, um, you know, and Mir has sacked. And, you know, I mean, uh, Knobs has, uh, has some medical issues going on recently. And, you know, guys like that, you know, I mean, I, I feel bad for because, you know, wrestling's been their life. They have nothing to fall back on, you know? And uh, it's just tough, especially on Brian. So, you know, I mean, this COVID-19 mess has hit a lot of people and hurt a lot of people, you know, in their pockets, violently hit their pockets uh, um, with devastating blow. You know, I mean, how do we get back? When are we getting back? When is there going to be attendance? Um, SWE Fury, a company which I work for right now in, uh, in, in Texas, um, they just started a TV taping last week on 4th of July weekend, July 3rd. I was supposed to be there 
and um, SWE Fury had to deal without me, be without me, and um, because I could not get, uh, I got a, a, a warning from Southwest Airlines that anyone coming back to New Jersey to New Jersey from Texas will be quarantined at a hotel by the National Guard automatically for 14 days. So, um, so now you got the governors of New York, New Jersey, Connecticut playing tit for tat with the governors of Florida, California, and and uh, Texas, and that cost me money. You know, that cost me a whole weekend's work because I had a show on the third, two shows on the third for the taping, and then I had um, a show on the fifth for the global reunion, which I couldn't attend also in, in uh, Sherman, Texas. So, with this kind of you know, threw a monkey wrench in my plan. So it's it, it's hurting everybody. It's hurting me, and uh, you know, I, I was looking forward. I was you know promoting it in my my return to the ring since March seventh. And it would have been a great time. Now it looks like my return to the ring as of now is on August eighth in um, in uh, uh, Rhode Island, um, and uh, I'll be in Rhode Island working for New World Extreme Wrestling, and uh, that I can't wait to work for them. That's going to be a great time. And uh, so, but um, Southwest Wrestling Entertainment's a great new company that that's really gone out there, has a lot of great talent like. Uh, Tim Storm, the heavyweight champion, is a veteran at the business, former NWA world champion. Uh, James Beard is senior um, referee and um, senior official, and he really is an official. The guy really don't take crap from any of the wrestlers. You got a really one of the toughest guys on the independent circuit that I've ever seen him. Tex McKenzie, Brent McKenzie, Super Tex, they call him. And then another tough guy, Moonshine Mantel, who I worked, he's just no bones about it. Up and coming star. He's going to be the new, uh, the new, uh, Stone Cold or The Rock someday looking at this guy. He's got a great build, great great guy to work. And, you know, you have uh, uh, a lot of guys that, that have worked with them, and it's a great company to work for. And they're on Roku TV. They're on Fight TV. They're on uh, CWE and, uh, um, CWE and, uh, no, CW, the CW in uh, uh, Dallas-Fort Worth area on uh, Action TV. And, uh, and you know, they're, they're really good uh Good company to look out for, and I'm, I work for them, so uh, I'm giving a shameless plug, you know? Oh, no, so. that's, that's awesome. I mean, <coughs> my only thing is I'm a little uh, scared now because of your psychic powers, because uh, uh, we're not even in the same place, so it's not like you uh, reached over and read off the, the cue cards that were next, because uh, that actually literally were, was my next question about SWE Fury, where to watch it, that kind of thing. Oh, SWE Fury, I'll, I'll tell you exactly where to watch it right now. SWE Fury. Let me see if I can find it right. Uh, SWE Fury, you can catch it on CW33, Good Fun, out of uh, Dallas-Fort Worth. Catch it on Fight TV, Action, the Action Channel, and Right Now TV, and Roku. Uh So, TV tapings were just last Friday out of Plano, Texas, and, uh, you know, they were from July 3rd. I'm not going to be on those those episodes, but I'm on, uh, like, four episodes of the other uh, previous... tapings that they did so it's a it's a really good time I, I i made some promos explaining why i wasn't there and stuff like that so whether they get aired or not i'm hoping they do if not you can go on that facebook page or uh the twitter page for sw fury and uh, you can find them on that but yeah that's uh, a nice thing you actually did the promos where uh you know uh i'm now when no one else in particular that we're going to name tessa blanche uh where she wouldn't do her promos which is the reason why she's unemployed now 
Wow. Yeah. See, I do my employment. Somebody asked me to do a promo. I do a promo. I even do. I even got <laughs> another shameless plug. You can always go to uh, to um, uh, um, what is it called? Uh, celebrity voicemail or celebrity video message. I do a, a celebrity a celeb com. You can look up Andrew Anderson, a bunch of other wrestlers and celebrities on it. I do a, a send out some birthday wishes and stuff like that. Um, so it's pretty cool. I do that. Yeah, I do my promos when they ask me to do my promos. I always do them, you know, I mean, you know, it's it's just, it's you're helping yourself and you're helping the company you're working for. So I don't understand why not, why not to do them, you know? Speaking of companies that you work for, uh, the one that I think you're most synonymous with probably is ECPW, four-time world heavyweight champion. Which one of those titles meant the most to you? Um, I love, I love working for East Coast Pro Wrestling. It's just, it's, it's, been good to me. I mean, the, the company's been good to me. The fans, the fans are really great. I mean, they. I mean, it's it, it, it went through some downtimes. I mean, we used to draw at the in in the the the, the recreational centers down in uh in uh in New Jersey. Uh, where where was that at uh, the uh, Garden State Exhibit Center? We used to pack that house with two thousand people easily. Big crowds for an indie indie company. I mean, they used to draw. Uh, really good crowds and I had a bunch of cage matches in that building and uh you know just they, they used to really really draw they still draw pretty big houses in certain areas and you know but it, oh, in the in the Indies uh, there's so much in New Jersey and New York and Connecticut and uh and Pennsylvania that it's, it's hard for any one company to draw a huge crowd because there's no commissions now you know and, and a lot a lot has gone down and the regulation has gone down so everybody and their mother running a company but the, years ago East Coast Pro Wrestling was probably the, the the place to go for uh for classic good good fun and uh family to stop wrestling and it still is it still is you know I can't wait till they get back up and running because the owner Gino Caruso is a personal friend of mine he's one of my trainers one of the guys who broke me in the business and he, you know he's he's like family to me and you know he really runs a good good tight ship and a good product you know he's got a wrestling school up in Lake Hiawatha New Jersey that he runs and. You know, I, I always uh always give kudos to where I where I have to, you know, I mean that was uh they they, they helped make me. They helped make me, you know. So You've done motion pictures, you've done major T V shows. Which uh which of your acting work are you most proud of? Um my acting work I'm most proud of um well, the, the the movie The Wrestler, I I got a bunch of cutscenes from the wrestler. I keep Hearing that it's going to be put out on a on an extended release, but the ten year anniversary went back and they didn't add anything new to it. But uh, my lines, I was one of the guys who auditioned for it. I, I wasn't part of um, World World Extreme Wrestling WXW that uh, that had their uh, Alpha and C, uh, rather Alpha Senior had his um, his students in the vast background wrestlers. I actually auditioned as a, a background wrestler and, and uh, I actually auditioned as a character. Lex Lethal, which was uh, the, the steroid dealer in the in the gym scene, in the locker room scene in the gym, um, but another person got it who was actually really was a steroid dealer who got arrested, and uh, that was a true story. That guy, the big guy selling drugs to Mickey Rourke, he was the one who actually was a drug dealer, and he got arrested. And he, I guess he's doing time. Ran from the cops or whatever. What story was there years ago? But um, I want to play myself in the role. The, the uh, Darren Aronofsky put me in as myself as Andrew Anderson and uh, I, I did my scenes I batted it out in one shot and I just remember standing at the urinal taking a leak and this guy walks over me I didn't, I didn't even know it was him 
and he says, he goes, he goes, Andrew, he goes, you did a great job there. I'm peeing, he's peeing, and uh, you know, it's kind of awkward. And it's like, he's like, I'm the director of Darren. I said, yeah. I said, okay. I didn't know. You, I, I didn't realize he was the director because he really wasn't. He was more in the background. The production assistants were doing the scenes, and um, I want to talk to him. And he said, you're a natural. He goes, you got that scene. He goes, you say this a lot of time. And I was like, all right, well, I guess, you know, so I, I took it with a grain of salt. And next minute I got a call a couple couple weeks later, you know, audition for Iron Man, Iron Man 2, um, with, also with Mickey Work in it, you know, and I did some background work in that. And uh, then I, have my, I, I got grandfathered into the Screen Actors Guild, and one thing led to the next. So the wrestler will always be my, my, my really, uh, I'm, I've done film before. I've done B-movies, or should I call them C-movies, and then Girls Night Out. I did Creepy Tales. I played a werewolf in a couple of things. I played a, a background werewolf in a sci-fi movie, but I, I, I didn't get um, I didn't get into the Screen Actors Guild because I was too slow at the time. And uh, with with doing that, um, and Ginger Snaps was one of those. I played an extra in that, and uh, Ginger Snaps back. That was it. And uh, but um, I, I've I've done a lot of stuff. The um, next project I'm working on is a director J.D. Glasscock is making a movie called Blade and Blood um, and uh, I play a character called Crank and yes I'm cranking a lot in that movie <laughs> so uh, it's a, the character actually believe it or not is a, a, a maniacal killer but he's also a, a freaking chronic masturbator so oh, it's kind of wow. but it's, 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 this, is, this, is, this is like a futuristic western I like to call it you know the, it's going to be filmed in North Texas and uh the COVID-19 thing kind of threw the big budget production out, you know, uh, arise, sidelined us. So I did everything else. So, and, uh, I just finished up some, um, a little bit of, uh, uh, scenes for, um, um, FBI's most wanted on CBS did that. Um, obviously all the commercials I've done, I got done so many commercials over the years. Matter of fact, I thank God because of this COVID night nightmare that we've gone through, um, at, at the quarter at March, I went up thinking I'm not going to be working, and there comes April first, April week, the first week of April. I got a check for um, from uh, uh, Warner Brothers Gotham uh, from uh, Amazon Prime for uh, Sneaky Pete, and um, from uh, Frito Lay uh, for um, the Doritos commercial, and uh, you know, and then for uh, from Wrigley's for. Uh, um, the um, Skittles commercial that I've done. So I've got, you know, some really great residuals coming in that keeps you afloat, you know? So, um, but, you know, to me, that was always found money. I call that my fuck around funds because I can go fuck around and do whatever the hell I want with that money because I'm making money wrestling, you know? I'm making money doing appearance. I'm making money doing signings and, you know, stuff like that. But, you know, and now, you know, I took all that money for granted, but now it's somewhat keeping me afloat, you know? <clears throat> the other film you have coming out in the near future is what, Lollipop Gang? Uh, Lollipop Gang with, um, uh, directed by Christopher Nino, written and directed by him, yep, that's coming out too, yep. Looks uh, like you've been busy. Working on a movie called, uh, Behind the Ropes, uh, uh, documentary on my career in the brother, the, the Fellowship of Wrestling seven years ago. It's still a part of the seams when the director and the, um, the uh, the producers decided to go with uh, a Broadway play, Gigi, and fund that instead, and which was good that they funded it because Gigi won Tony Awards. But so that was good for them, bad for me. So now this project was shelved for seven years. So now we're trying to get all the legalities um, 
unwrapped and untangled and bring use that old footage of behind the ropes and continue either under the, the name behind the ropes or maybe give it another name and use that footage because I've had a lot of great footage of scenes with me with, with Jimmy Snooker, Roddy Piper, Jersey Animal Steel, um, Jimmy Angle Lightheart, a lot of people that are no longer with us. So that makes that footage that much, that much more precious to me. And to be able to put that out there and uh, on a documentary about the life of independent pro wrestling and how, you know, how a lot of these older guys have impacted my career. And now that I'm one of the older guys, you know, how I'm impacting some younger guys in the business, which I, I, I've really always gone out of my way to help. You know, it's always been about helping, you know, so, uh, it's, it's you know, I, I'd like to I'd like to think that somehow, some way I made a mark in this business. And, uh, you know, it would be good to, to leave something behind, you know. I mean, you know, not everybody can be Ric Flair or Hulk Hogan have a shitload of, uh, you know, prestigious WWE belts and NWA belts. But, you know, so um, it just, it's, you know, we're doing one thing after the next, you know, trying to keep things going. The event uh, that I'm really excited about hearing about is the Rumble in Havana. I mean, that sounds like that is going to be an amazing event. You know what? That is a long time coming. Kevin Sullivan, the taskmaster, and myself, we have worked with a friend of, a friend of, my, a friend of mine called, uh, named Mike Frazee um, and his daughter Susan Frazee. Uh, we've, uh, we've worked really hard um, for the past three and a half years trying to get this off the ground. There's no money to be made in Cuba. It's an impoverished country. Uh, it, it, it thrives on tourism right now suffering right now because of the COVID-19, even though there were only, they say there were only like 50, 50 cases, the country was still closed down. Tourism hasn't opened back up yet. Um, and uh, we're relying on uh, on being able to get out there and make sure that, you know, then, then I'm looking forward to people coming in from Florida, which is right now, um, where we're with that platform, we will leave all flying out Miami, and right now it's not happening, especially with the COVID outbreak in Florida. April 18th was supposed to be our show, the Rumble in Havana. was now delayed. Initially, we were um, delayed by the Donald Trump's um, travel ban to Cuba, all domestic, uh, recreational, and uh, educational travel were, were all banned. Um, educational, recreational, and, uh, and uh, um, uh, it was just horrible. It was just uh, it threw a monkey with my plans, and uh, you know, uh, it, 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 we have to rethink the whole uh, the whole scenario. How are we going to get down there? How are we going to ring down there? How are we shipping everything illegally? So you, we couldn't go into another country because if you go in through Mexico or Canada as an American citizen, you'd be violating a bunch of different federal laws. So we have to find a way to get our, our work visas and everything there, which we. Now we got in under a, a peace festival that they were going to do, a, a sports festival down there. But then we ran into a monkey wrench. They threw in our plans. The WWE, the WWE, the State Department said um, the WWE and any AEW and all this type of wrestling is sports entertainment. You are still professional wrestling, so you're sports entertainment just like them. So we try to consider ourselves pro wrestlers and, and actual sport. We've been deregulated by the government, and so now we have to find another way to get in the country. So, um, so we're coming in there as the entertainment for the United States Olympic uh, um, uh, cycling team that are doing a um, a bike race um, 
at the um, the Bellatron Arena, in, uh, Cuba, in Havana. So we um, we got in with that. We had everything set for April 18th, and now happened, what happens? COVID 19, the pandemic, and uh, you know, it just it was just we're just back to the drawing board. Um, well, no, we're not actually back to the drawing board. Which we have our sponsors are uh, are with us 100, percent and. Uh, you know, so we, we have everything set. It's just a matter, and the cards have been set. The talent has been locked in. I mean, I have Rodney Mack, uh, Stevie Ray from Harlem Heat, WWE Hall of Famer. Um, Rodney Mack, the Big Red Dog, my um, tag team partner. Uh, Tokyo Monster, Cahagas, uh Mustang Mike Beetle, uh, Al, um, Alex Porto. Uh, you might remember him as the pug from WWE. Uh, God, the list goes on. Slam Shady. Uh, Pitbull, Gary Wolf, uh, Road Warrior Animal, Joe Laurinaitis, J.J. Uh, Dillon, um, I can keep going on that, obviously Kevin Sullivan, and um, uh, we have a list, we're bringing back a, a, a long lost art, we're bringing back managers, so I got a lot of managers on the show, like uh, Carmine Spirito and Nigel Rabbit and uh, you know Sean Hardy and a bunch of people like that, and they're all, everybody's working together, so they won't just be managing, they'll be helping me manage the locker room and everything, and you know, uh, also added Bushwhacker Luke to the list of, of uh, stars coming, Bushwhacker still wants to perform, he's 70 something years old, and he still wants to get in the ring and do it, he still looks good doing it, you know? And his uh, Luke's uh, Luke's Luke's knowledge of running show overseas is just in, invaluable. So um, you know, so we're gonna have a hell of a hell of a you know thing. But the most important thing about the Cuba tour is this: the Cuban assassin here in the United States, Fidel Sierra, the Cuban heavyweight champion, will be in Cuba first time ever, coming home as a babyface, the Cuban patriot. How do you like? The Managed by former NWA, NWA great Ricky Santana, so we're going to have a kind of, it's it's going to be a different spin on things. Gangrel will also be on the tour. Gangrel, Dave Heath. Um, so it, it's, it, we're going to have a big budget tour. You know, I mean, it's uh, it's 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 going to be simple, easy, old school wrestling. Good guys versus bad guys, so the people of uh, Havana and can understand the product. You know, I mean, I'm, I'm sure they have satellites and what WWE. I mean, but um. We just want to bring back old school wrestling. Sounds like and, an amazing event. I mean, it sounds and, like a stacked roster. You know what? It's just going to be a good time for the people in Nevada because they have nothing. Really, if you think of it, they have nothing. Um, a lot of it's going to be directed towards the tourists uh, from like Japan, Germany, Canada, uh, the UK to come come to uh, to Cuba. Because unfortunately, we found something else out too that um, the Cuban government doesn't allow. A lot of it's uh, Cuban people to gather in one place at one time. It's an older, it's it's it's, it's got that mindset of communism again that they'll be overthrowing. That's why I look at it. Um, but hopefully, with the legalities and stuff, and we talk to enough officials down there, which we have a lot of ins with, uh, with with the Cuban uh, the Cuban ambassador to the United States, and uh, um, actually a, a a friend of mine is actually friends with. Uh, Fidel, uh, actually Raul Castro's son. So we should have some uh, some actual pull. Maybe we'll get some cute people in there for change to, to visit and uh, see the entertainment and what pro wrestling is all about. So is this something that is going to be eventually available on DVD or on a website? Or yeah, 
we actually secure the rights from the government, from the Cuban government, and are, are allowed to film the event and the, uh, the stuff leading up to it. The few days we're going to be there beforehand, uh, working out the details as sort of as a documentary and as uh, as a wrestling show. So uh, obviously, we will give the Cuban government a copy of it. They get a copy of it. We get a copy of it, and uh, we get to keep it and keep the rights to it. And uh, hopefully, we'll. Well, this could be a film of itself, you know? This could be a film, uh, you know, I mean, it can be, we could use it as content for any, anything, for anything, for uh, um, for uh, WWE TV if they want it down the road, you know, fight TV, um, but we're just trying to get things out there for us, trying to get the show underway, and maybe even make a motion picture out of it, I'm making up, you know? I mean, that would be pretty interesting, or a for like A&E or something, I mean, look, Exactly. It sounds like there's a lot of opportunities there and a lot of uh, really great content uh, with, like you said, the history of professional wrestling that is going to be in that event. This is a this this is a project that is not about money. It's not about making money. This is a project is about bringing wrestling to somewhere that it hasn't been in 65 years, and uh, I'm looking. That's that's the part that excites me. It's it's to see for people to see wrestling who haven't seen it at all in some cases and in other cases haven't seen it since they were extremely young old people seeing it you know I mean the last time they were there was Pampero Fierpo and I think uh, Johnny Valentine and and uh, um, I don't know who else Kevin Sullivan knows more about the history of uh, of the wrestling in Cuba because Kevin lived in Miami for a long time and Kevin's a, a lot of people don't realize Kevin is actually a historian of wrestling so so it's pretty cool having him on board with me and you know, growing up too, Kevin was one of my idols growing up too. I loved uh, Kevin as Prince of Darkness, shooting with Dusty Rose in Florida. And to me, that was just great. And then to have him as, you know, one of my best friends and a confidant, you know, and business partner. And, you know, I mean, been through hell and high water together, you know, for a long time. And, uh, you know, I love him dearly, you know. Yeah, speaking of Kevin, uh, you mentioned earlier about Jimmy Snuka. He has a lot of uh, stigma and a lot of... Uh, misconceptions about him. What about Kevin? There are there are some concerns or issues that people brought up that I believe probably aren't correct and a lot of, probably misleading. Um, you're talking about Dark Side of the Ring, right? Yes. Yeah. yeah um, they blatantly had uh, said that he was he had uh, lawsuits that uh, there were charges were filed and uh, uh, that he beat his uh, ex wife Linda. Um, Nancy, Nancy uh, um, Benoit, who was, she was Nancy Sullivan at the time, when in fact it, it was actually the role reverse. Um, she stabbed Kevin and uh, assaulted him, and he had the, the charges pressed on her. So, and uh, he actually, um, he, he actually, he, I think he might have, I don't, don't quote me on this, but I, I think he actually contacted Dark Side of the Ring about that, you know, because I know he, he didn't want to, because of his. His relationship with, with Linda's mother and father in them, I'm, I'm Linda, I keep saying Linda, but his relationship with Nancy's mother and father, and uh, he didn't want to get involved as, as far as anything that would be, uh, that would be damaging or, or, you know, he didn't want to throw salt in an open wound. But when that happened, and they, they sort of uh, tried to railroad him, make him look, as I say, they tried to paint him as the devil, you know, um, of the character that he played, you know, I mean, they tried to paint him as being, you know, sadistic and everything when it wasn't true. You know, Kevin is actually one of the nicest guys on the planet. You know, I mean, uh, like like I said, look, but you know, he definitely didn't 
didn't uh, assault her in any form. What I understand from speaking to Kevin, she was actually quite the um, difficult one to deal with. You know, Nancy Sullivan was exactly, um, you know, a char- you know, easiest person. She had her own issues too. Exactly. So it sounds like it was a very uh, complicated uh, relationship that they uh, kind of tried to uh, minimize and try to uh, try to kind of fit the narrative that they wanted as opposed to... Yeah, really I, think, I think a lot of it had to do with the fact that, that Kevin didn't want to do the, the, the documentary. Kevin wanted, didn't want to do the Dark Side of the Ring, and I think they... So they kind of spun it their way, you know? So... I wonder if they would ever do anything with willing to freaking do anything with Kevin and uh, re-edited version of that and get Kevin's input in. That would be uh, that would be interesting to see. Exactly. I mean, to uh, get you know all sides of the uh, the actual story as opposed to point of view. I mean, that's you know it, you know that that would be the way to do it. You know. Mm-hmm. So. Um, yeah, because I don't think they're intentionally trying to do bad work. It's just. No, I, I think I think they're doing some pretty phenomenal stuff. I, you know, I actually I really like the dark side of the ring stuff. It was riveting. A lot of it was riveting, but I mean, some of the stuff was just. I, I thought it was a little too one sided. Like they never let Jimmy Snooker's get any of the. I mean, he's dead, but there were a lot of people that were there that they could have got stuff. You know, input in input into the story. You know, I mean. Um, a lot of people had insider knowledge as to what happened, and, and you know, I, it's, I don't, I don't really. Um, I wasn't there at the time, so I couldn't tell you, you know, honestly. But um, I, I could give you my opinion and about what Jimmy told me and the, the conversation I had with Jimmy, and uh, I know what I know from Kevin that that you know the lawsuits, the, the charges were filed from him, her stabbing him, you know. So Nancy stabbing Kevin. Oh wow! And assaulting him, yeah. yeah. She was she was tough to deal with. A lot of people have told me that. Well, I can imagine being a, a woman in the uh, wrestling business. You would definitely be on the uh, the more aggressive side to be able to uh, to she, in that world. You know, it's funny. I just on the aggressive side. I just got off the phone with uh, with Karen McDaniel, Wahoo McDaniel's widow, and she was telling me a story about. Um, she caught Wahoo cheating on her, and uh, she charged Wahoo with a three fifty seven shooting over his head. <laughs> oh wow! Yeah, and made him sleep, made him spend a few nights in the Ramada Inn or something like that, <laughs> or Marriott in uh, in Charlotte, I think it was. So it sounds like uh, sounds like a great event in Havana. Uh, sounds like we covered a lot, but. Uh, of course, I always want more. Uh, before we let you go, you know, tell us. Uh, let's leave on a happy note. Tell us. Uh, tell us a good story. One of your favorite memories in wrestling. One of my favorite memories in wrestling. All right, I'm gonna give you one of my favorite me- memories in wrestling. Uh, we were in uh, we were in Mississippi uh, at the uh, wrestling at the Neshoba County Coliseum, and I think it was 2001. And uh, I was wrestling, uh, Moondog Spot, God Rest His Soul, was on the show, uh, um, Doug Gilbert, and uh, one of the funny things about that, that tour that I remember was, I was rooming with the Metal Maniac and my manager at the time, Doug DeVito, and I just remember, I got so drunk that I crazy glued everybody in the room, and the entire room, I crazy glued all the shampoo bottles, um, all the shampoo bottles uh, to the to the 
the the the um the counter um crazy glue the hands on the on the, the faucets so nothing could be turned and then I crazy glued everybody's hands and feet together. <laughs> crazy glued the doors, crazy glued the left crazy glued the lock into the door as I left as I exited the room, left in somebody else's room and, and now thinking it was a freaking fire hazard, God forbid something happened, they couldn't get out of the freaking room, you know, but at the time it was hysterically funny because, you know, I didn't know anybody. And then I went out the next night I went out and uh, there was a swamp behind uh, in Mississippi swamp behind the hotel. Next next day I went out with uh I went to a to a local uh, hardware store and yeah it was pre nine eleven so uh I went to a local hardware store and I was able to buy sticks of dynamite and I was throwing sticks of dynamite into the swamp and they said what are you doing I said I'm alligator hunting in the state troopers game <laughs> I was bombed at one point I, I lit the fuse and threw the lighter that's how bombed I was I held this light this freaking stick of dynamite in my hand my manager screamed what are you doing I threw the stick of dynamite blew literally feet for, a few feet from us knocked us on our asses oh, so that was that was one funny story that was the truth that was that was I was that was intense. I mean, I was notorious on the road for ribbing people. I mean, you were either got blasted with a fire extinguisher when you slapped, or you know, you were gonna get uh, something worse happen to you. <laughs> An eyebrow shaving, that you know, half your hair is done. You know, ponytail cut off. You know, your toenails painted was not. I didn't do. I didn't paint your toenails, pal. I did something worse. You know, exactly. you might have removed your toenails. You know, oh. so you know, you never never know with me at the time. So. Definitely. I filled up one guy's car. I went to a pet shop and bought about a thousand crickets that they used to feed the reptiles. Yeah. And uh, he got a brand new car. The guy just came out with a brand new Camaro. He thought he was hot shit. He's driving this thing around all the time. And, he, and I remember filling that thing up. And, again, taking his keys when he was rustling. Filling his car up with those live crickets. And it looked like a biblical plague when he got done with his show. <laughs> It was one of the funniest things. Another time, another road trip we did. Um, I, I did it to Nikolai, actually. I ribbed Nikolai. Because Nikolai would always always bust my balls, bust my balls all the time. Don't go out, don't drink, don't do that. Well, I put, uh, uh, I went and I got a whitefish from a, uh, a Jewish deli on the Jersey Shore. I got a, a whitefish and I put it underneath the seat of his car. And he's then he left it out in the sun, and when he got in, he was so mad. But he didn't think I did it. Years later, I told him I did it. And he was like, so mad, because that was his car. It wasn't a rental car. It was his car. He had to get that. And he still had that car years ago. He drove that thing to the ground. You know, Nikolai, Nikolai, Nikolai was very thrifty, to put it that way. So, and he used to say to me, keep changing the oil, Drew. Keep changing the oil. Take care of it. Wash it. You have a car forever. So... He was a good guy. He was a good guy. But I, I, I was like horrible like that with the ribbing. So yeah, that was that was a funny story. I'm, you know, great stuff, man. And I'm also working on my book. I'm also working on my book, and it's called. Uh, it's it, it, I, I changed the name because it was called. It's really not my fault. But that is kind of Snitsky, Gene Snitsky's moniker. It's not my fault. So, but the book was called Really Not My Fault. And originally, the working line of the book was. Um, I'm going to say this once, I'm going to say it only once. The working title of this book is It's Really Not My Fault, but for the rest of this read, I will, I'm going to say it more, more than likely was my fault, but for the rest of this read, I will be vehemently denying it being my fault. <laughs> <laughs> so, but uh, yeah, my, my uh, initial writer, Nick Casella, 
a good friend of mine was a horror horror author, and uh, he was writing the book with me. We started writing it in 2016, and he passed away from uh, um, an, uh, uh, a blood clot, and uh, he wound up passing away. And it took a while to get a lot of his the, the transcripts back, but I got them back, and uh, I'm going to be writing it with John Cosper as soon as I get him all the stuff downloaded. John Cosper is going to help me do the book, and he's going to write it with me. So, and uh, I'm looking forward to getting everything done and having a book out in 2021, maybe 2022. Sounds so. great, definitely. We'd love to have you back on the show to uh, uh, talk up the book. Uh, thank you, Andrew. Oh, I'll be back on the show to talk up the Cuba tour, too. You know? So I'll give you all the dates when that happens. So Sounds awesome. We'll appreciate having you on the show. Hey, man, I had a good time. Thank you for interviewing me. You can't control what's outside your home, but you can control what comes in. Because Clorox disinfecting wipes kill 99.9% of viruses and bacteria, including COVID-19 virus, when used as directed on hard, non-porous surfaces. So whether it's from dirty doorknobs, dirty shoes, or something else, outside germs won't stand the chance. When it counts, trust Clorox. Kill Pseudomonas, Salmonella, and Influenza virus type A2. Kill SARS-CoV-2 on hard, non-porous surfaces. Use as directed. There are those who say, Leave well enough alone. If it isn't broken, don't fix it. You don't mess with success. While others have something quite different to say. The new Lexus RX. Now with enhanced dynamic handling and available 12.3-inch touchscreen. It's the best-selling luxury crossover of all time. Reinvented. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. Click the banner to discover more. 